This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Does the phrase free money catch your attention? It should, because you're probably missing out on an untapped resource. Today, we're going to talk to a couple people on how to use FAFSA as a one-stop to apply for a plethora of federal grants and loans. Hey guys, I'm Adia Hansen. And I'm Corbin Smith. Together, we are going to explore the nursing profession. With exclusive interviews from nurses working in jobs you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Hey guys, welcome back. Today, first we'll chat with Betsy Hopkins, BYU Nursing's resident librarian and research assistant. We'll talk to Betsy about what she does and how she can be of service to you. Second, we'll touch a little bit on what the FAFSA is, what it is, how to apply using FAFSA, why you should apply, what grants and loans might be available, etc. Tons of things. We'll be talking to a dynamic duo at BYU Enrollment Services to get more information on that. Then, last but absolutely not least, we're going to have a short conversation with one of our favorite people from the BYU nursing faculty, Dr. Peggy Anderson, about new resources the college has to assure your success in school. Let's get started. Hey guys, today we're here with Betsy Hopkins. She's the nursing librarian. Betsy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am the nursing librarian. I've been assigned to the college for over 10 years now. Um, My own background is in biology. You know, as I've worked with the college over the past 10 years, I've learned a lot about the discipline and about what you guys do. So, and then I also have a a master's degree in library science. So the combination of those two is what prepares me to be the nursing librarian. Yeah, that's a cool combination. And you work just with the College of Nursing. What's kind of an overview of what you do as a librarian for the college? Yeah, so there's there's sort of three main areas that I'm responsible for. Um, the first is reference. The second is instruction. And then the third is collections. So in the reference category, that's where I help members of the college with any research questions that they have. So, um, you know, whether it's students in the nursing research course or faculty getting started on a new uh, research project, you know, they'll, they'll come to me and I will help them with, with accessing articles for that research project. So help people know, you know, which databases to use, what keywords to use, um, I also help with things about the research process, which I guess sort of fall, that falls into reference still. So things like um, managing your search results, saving searches, finding full text, those sorts of things. Instruction is the second one. And this is where I, I teach students mostly about, um, about research and about information. So. Um, and some of you students who are listening probably have seen me in classes. I, it starts in the second semester of the program, and and I have several planned, you know, insertions into the curriculum um, 
over the next two semesters, ending with my final visit in Capstone. So, you know, sort of growing with you over the program to help you know where to go uh, to get information and the important things to know about that information. Uh, the last area is collection. So I'm in charge of providing materials for, for the College of Nursing. So that includes books, journals, databases, any other type of resource that, that you might need to, you know, to answer those, those questions that you have. You know, journals and databases are an ongoing commitment in terms of funds, but I also have a small budget every year for buying books for the library. That includes both the Harold B. Lee Library and also the Nursing Learning Center in the basement of the Kimball. So, so those are sort of the three main areas of my responsibilities. Yeah, that's so fun. And what does your day-to-day -day work look like? It varies quite a bit day-to-day, um, -day, although often I will have um, student appointments, student or faculty appointments. That's a regular thing that happens. Maybe not every day, but every week, depending on sort of the time in the semester and, and what's going on with people in the college. Depending on the time of year, for example, like our budget deadline is approaching. And so I've been doing more with the collection side of things. And then, then of course, teaching, I'll do sort of throughout the semester as the classes need it. Yeah. And what specifically do you do for undergraduate nursing students? It sounds like there's a lot of resources that the library has to offer that nursing students may not be aware of. Yeah, there probably are. I mean, I, I would hope that nursing students are maybe aware of more than some areas on campus just because of the teaching that I do. But for example, there's the nursing research guide that's available um, that but again, you guys learn about in class, but there's there's so many resources on there that we don't we don't have time to cover uh, through the formal instruction process. So there's all sorts of of databases and ebooks and and other resources that are linked on that guide that probably students are not uh, as aware of as some of the the more major resources like CINAHL, for example, the main nursing database. Mm -hmm. But there's there's a number of other databases and resources on that page that are that could potentially be useful. And when students want to schedule a consult with you, what kind of questions and topics do they usually discuss with you? So that depends really on the student and what they're what they're working on. Um, for undergraduates, it tends to be really tied to class assignments, right? Um, or to if they're like a, a research assistant, that's another thing I do quite regularly is I, I will help get research assistants up to speed on the projects that they're working on with their faculty. Um, and the, you know, the ins and outs of, of searching. You know, I do spend a lot of time helping people with setting up a good search, you know, making sure the keywords are, are doing what they want, making sure they've got the right synonyms and that they're using you know, the ands and ors in the correct way, um, those sorts of things to make sure that the set of results that they're going to start digging into really is what they want. Do you conduct any of your own research as part of your job? I do, actually. Um, in recent years, I've had a couple of, of interesting projects. The one that I think 
maybe is most relevant to the college is that I did a survey of our alumni three years ago in 2017, and we, we surveyed alumni who had graduated in the last five years. Um, and we, the survey was, was geared towards nurses, their, their information use. So, you know, what sorts of questions they had as a part of their job, uh, what sources they went to to answer those questions, what barriers did they have as they looked for information as a nurse, how they evaluated that information. Um, and some of the things that I learned from that survey have actually changed how I've taught, uh, you know, in my normal course of teaching. And the main way that that has happened is that the, the, there were two major barriers to information use in the alumni. One was time. So, you know, there wasn't enough time mm -hmm. to to, you know, look for information when you're a practicing nurse, that makes sense. And you've got patients to take care of and, and other responsibilities. The other barrier was access. So, for example, all these great resources that I've been talking about, most of them students will lose when they graduate from BYU. Um, there are some resources that, for example, hospital systems will provide. But many of the databases and, and other resources that we have here at BYU won't be available in the workplace. And so, for example, the, I mentioned earlier that I teach a session in the capstone class, and that session was instituted after this survey um, because people were sort of struggling with, with this new information environment that they found themselves in, you know, that was so different from while they were in nursing school. So, so we decided to, to, teach them what to expect right so yeah. that's that's that um, instructional session in capstone is just to sort of prepare students for what will happen after they graduate so yeah that's that's just one example of the type of research that I do and how would a student contact you if they want an appointment so I have a scheduler on the nursing guide page that has my availability and it's really easy to just like you know, click on a time and sign up for a consultation. Um, of course, during the pandemic, I'm, I'm not working on campus. And so all the consultations are uh, via Zoom right now. When it's not the pandemic, I have office hours in the Kimball. Usually those happen on Wednesday mornings. Uh, but I post those on the nursing guide as well, just under my picture. I've got information about the office hours, and then there's also that link um, to schedule an appointment. If there's ever, I mean, one other thing people should know is that I am a part-time employee. So um, if there's ever a time when, when, you know, the students or faculty schedule, you know, doesn't work, if there's, you know, times when, when they need me and they can't find availability, just send me an email. And, and we can work together to find a time that will work, even if it's not showing up as available on my scheduler. And what's your email? It's Betsy underscore Hopkins at BYU.edu. Perfect. Thank you so much, Betsy. Yeah, you're welcome. Remember that the BYU College of Nursing wants you to participate in their social media channels. As you view their photos and messages at BYU Nursing, make sure to like, share, and comment on what they post. 
So we feel very lucky today here at the College Handoff. We have a dynamic duo, the dynamic duo, dare I say, of enrollment services here at BYU, Bridger and Ellie. First, Bridger, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Corbin? Good. I'm doing awesome. Can you introduce yourself really quick? Yeah. So my name is Bridger. I graduated from BYU um, I in 2015. I majored in the Mary School of Business with a strategy emphasis. Um, and right out of graduation, I started working as a processor in financial aid. Um, but three years ago, I switched to become a counselor in enrollment services, and I've really loved it. I've been there ever since. Perfect. You're the perfect person for uh, for this segment, then. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and we have Ellie, the second member of the enrollment services dream team. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Can you introduce yourself as well for us? Yeah, my name is Ellie Roberts. Um, I graduated from BYU as well. And I've worked here for 15 years. The majority of that time has been actually in the financial aid office. Um, but I've been an enrollment services counselor for the past two years, and I've absolutely loved it. Awesome. So we have you here today because we want to talk about financial aid. A lot of our students we found may not take advantage of financial aid how we may have hoped and how they probably hope as well. But let's start off at the beginning. What is FAFSA? Really good question, because most people just don't even know what it stands for. So it stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. What it is, it's, it's the way that you apply for any kind of federal aid. So what most students think about immediately is Pell Grant, which is free money, kind of like a scholarship. Um, if you qualify for Pell Grant, it's money you don't have to pay back, you can use. Um, but it also applies you for federal loans. Um, and there are different kinds of loans. There are some that are interest-free while you're in school and some that are just regular loans. So it's one application for these three different types of aid. Um, but I think a lot of students will find that many other applications require you to fill out the FAFSA. Um, so we'll probably get into it, but some kinds of scholarships will say, hey, you need to fill out the FAFSA. So it's really kind of this one-stop starting point to be able to see what kinds of aid you qualify for. Yeah, because I was curious to ask, how does FAFSA and BYU, how do they kind of mix and mesh? Is it that BYU has to get your FAFSA application to be able to give you money through BYU? What does that look like? Yeah, so in, in if you want to get any kind of federal aid, no matter what school you're at, you have to fill out the FAFSA. And then what happens is when you fill it out, the FAFSA, the, the Department of Education, which kind of oversees this whole process, they'll send the money to BYU and we'll give you whatever money you're qualified to receive through your My Financial Center account. Awesome. Um, so you'll see it pop up in there. It'll cover like any tuition charges or, um, you know, if you have any outstanding tuition charges, it will cover that. And anything extra will actually be refunded to your bank account that you have on My Financial Center. Um, so that's kind of the relationship between FAFSA and BYU. But kind of what you were also getting at too. For example, if you want to apply for a need-based scholarship through BYU, like you say, can I get a scholarship because you know my parents don't make so much money, they're going to ask you to fill out a FAFSA just because it makes a lot more sense for us to use something you've already have to fill out for other things than to have you put in all your income information in a whole new application. Awesome. Now I wanna ask Ellie a question. When do I apply for FAFSA and when is it due? That's a great question. So the technical answer is you can submit the FAFSA anytime during the school year, um, and it just has to be in by the last day of your enrollment. So if you're enrolled in fall winter, it just has to be in by the end of winter semester. But obviously with scholarship applications and other things, we encourage students to get it done as soon as possible. 
Um, the application does open October 1st of every year. Um, so for example, right now, the application for the 21-22 FAFSA is open as well as the current school year of 2021. And now I'll go back to Bridger again for this question. Should I file for my FAFSA even though I know that I don't necessarily need it? Yeah, really good question. I tell students to always fill out the FAFSA, um, whether they think they'll need it, whether they think they'll qualify. Um, usually the bigger problem we find is there's a lot of students who say, well, I'm not, you know, my parents make too much money. I'm not going to get anything. All it's going to do is offer me loans and I don't want to take out loans. But just this morning, I met with a student who wanted to meet because he said, well, I'm going to have to take off winter semester. I need to work. Um, and I looked it up and he had started a FAFSA, hadn't finished it. And it said that he was going to get like $3,000 a semester in Pell Grant. And so I said, dude, you have to like finish your FAFSA. Like this, <laughs> Seriously. this is the answer to all your problems. Um, so I think there's a lot of students who are like, well, I won't qualify and I don't need it. But it surprises some students and it's really not too hard to fill out. And even if you like are getting some support from your parents, if you're eligible to get that aid, you could use it for other things like rent. Um, like groceries, you know, it's not just like tuition. It can be used for other student expenses as well. A lot of our BYU students here in the nursing program and in general get married while they're in school. And it's a little hard to differentiate the things that I have to do when I'm single compared to what I have to do with my wife now that we're married. Could you kind of give an overall explanation for our married students and our married listeners on how they can apply for the FAFSA and how it differentiates from when they were single? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, the majority of our appointments are actually with students who are thinking about getting married or have just gotten married. Um, so the reason that marriage plays such a big role in the FAFSA is because when you're not married, you're usually considered a dependent, which means you have to report your parents' information. When you get married, you're then considered independent on the FAFSA, and we just look at your information and your spouse's information to determine your eligibility. Um, we do encourage students when they're getting married to make an appointment with us or to um, sign up for one of our marital status workshops uh, just to get the, you know, figure out the procedure. Um, and it's helpful that we can sit down and, and tell you whether it's good to update your FAFSA after you get married, because sometimes it's not advantageous and sometimes it is. So that's really important. But the but the main change is that we do need your spouse information. So. For example, for this year's FAFSA, it's going off of 2018 tax information. Um, if you get married, you'd then have to go back or initially submit your FAFSA with your information and your spouse's 2018 information. And you would combine those on the application, which can get a little confusing. But we're here to help if you have any questions about that. And now, Ellie, we've talked a lot about FAFSA and the financial aid that you can get from the government, but now let's kind of transition and talk about the scholarships that BYU gives out. Tell us about those university scholarships, the deadlines, the things that you have to do for the scholarships, the basic overview for it. Can you give it to us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the important thing is to remember the deadline, which is February 1st of every year. And just like the FAFSA, it is an annual application. Um, so just put a, we try to remind students, but just put in a reminder to get that done. Um, you can access the, the scholarship application by going to scholarships.byu.edu. And uh, we encourage students to fill out as much as that application as they can, because the more you fill out, the more types of scholarships you'll be considered for. Most people think right off the bat about academic scholarships, which is where we look at your fall semester grades, and we um, compare you to those in your cohort with your college. And then we award money off of your GPAs until we run out of money. 
Um, but if you continue filling out that application, there's an essay section. They ask for your FAFSA, then you can be considered for a need-based um, and also private scholarships. So like I said, we encourage you to fill out as much as that as possible so we can match you up with funds. What is there something, I know you've been working in this job for a few years now, what is something that you feel like you've seen in students, a trend or a lack of information that a lot of students have when they come into your office or when they come in contact with enrollment services that you wish that they knew about, that they should know about, that would be really beneficial for them? Yeah. I think one of the interesting things I tend to see is our culture here at BYU is very debt averse, which is a good thing. Um, A lot of students, you know, want to take out no debt or as little debt as possible. But I think we found that there are sometimes students in these hard financial situations where I tell them, if you just took out like a thousand dollar loan, this would solve so many problems for you. You know, for some students, it's like you could cut back on your hours and you could focus more on school. Um, For some students, it's like the one I was talking to this morning where it's like you can stay in school and not have to take off, you know, so much time you can graduate faster. And I think sometimes we have students where they're so debt averse and they say, I don't want a loan. That's not an option. I'm not going to take out anything. I want zero debt. Where I say that's really admirable and that's great. But sometimes it's better to take, you know, do a little bit of a loan, especially sometimes we can get you a loan that's interest free. And you can graduate faster. And in one month, you'll be making that much money to pay back, you know, kind of a thing. I think sometimes it's good for students to kind of look at their options, make sure they're making wise financial decisions, but kind of look at, make sure that the reason that you're wanting to avoid certain kinds of aid is not going to be detrimental to your educational path. That's what the real purpose is. And luckily, most students at BYU aren't taking on huge amounts of debt. That's not the norm for here. Most times, I think we find that they could maybe take on a tiny bit to help them finish faster. Um, and it would probably be helpful for them. Yeah. Bailey, one more thing before you go. Do you think you could share the information that students might need to get in contact with either you or the enrollment office so they could go over and ask any questions that I may have forgotten or specific things for their situation? Sure. Um, a good starting point would be to call 801-422-4104. That connects you with our student employees who are very knowledgeable, but they can also set you up with an appointment with one of us as well. Um, our website's also a good resource, and that's just enrollment.byu.edu. Okay, perfect. But sadly, we have come to the end of the time that we have today. Thank you so much, Bridger and Ellie, for coming in and teaching us a little bit more about the FAFSA and how we can take advantage of it. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Do you want to see pictures of the guests we have on the show? Make sure you follow our Instagram account at The College Handoff for posts on guests, behind the scenes, and future episodes. We will also randomly award prizes to followers, so don't miss out. Okay, we are here today with Dr. Peggy Anderson. She's a professor here at the College of Nursing. Dr. Anderson, can you introduce yourself to us? Um, So I'm the undergraduate program coordinator for the College of Nursing. I've been in this position for a couple of years now, but I've worked at the College of Nursing for about 15, 16 years, total in various capacities. So Dr. Anderson, last year we had 100% of new graduates pass the NCLEX. What do you attribute that to? Quite honestly, I think the reason that we have such a high pass rate is our incredible instructors and faculty and um, staff that all work with the students to um, enable their success so that they can be successful. Um, One program that we do use is the Assessments Technology Institute 
program or um, known as ATI. Can you explain what ATI is? So ATI is um, an online educational system that many colleges of nursing actually use. Um, but we have chosen it to help nursing students learn healthcare principles and skills that they need in order to pass the NCLEX. It has various teaching and learning activities, including textbooks, video case studies, online learning modules, study materials, electronic media, practice exams, and standardized proctored exams that um, predict a student's likelihood to pass the NCLEX, that national exam. They are, this program is evidence-based and um, it is continually systematically reviewed and updated. And I know that ATI has a ton of features, all of which can be so useful to students in their preparation for the NCLEX. What features do you think students underuse that could really assist them in their studying? So um, the students, let me just give you a little bit of background. The students begin using this program during their second semester. Um, where they are taking the fundamentals course. So they began using some of the activities. Um, and they those activities, those learning activities, are scheduled um, with each course throughout the College of Nursing um, where the specific areas pertain. They don't start using proctored testing with this program until their third semester. And then they take the proctored ATI um, assessment, which are similar to the NCLEX. So the questions are similar to the NCLEX. And the exams are timed and then proctored. And they are associated with the specific nursing content that the student is studying at the time. Um, so that's one area, one way that we use it. But then there's a lot of different um, learning activities that are incorporated into each course. One the students are very familiar with, we recently started using um, a program called Pharmacology Made Easy in the pharmacology course. Um, pharmacology is a really difficult subject. And, um, you know, it's something that as a healthcare provider, we study throughout our entire lives, always um, lifelong learning in healthcare. The modules with the Pharmacology Made Easy program are interactive. They give a brief review of anatomy and pathophysiology of the body system that the student is studying um, that correlates with the drugs that the students are learning about. There's images, illustrations, animations that help explain and illustrate pharmacological principles and administration. The students have loved this program. And they have access to the program throughout their entire College of Nursing stay and for about six months um, after they graduate as they prepare and take the NCLEX. In fact, they can access all of the ATI program modules and learning activities until about six months after they graduate to help them. Yeah. And as I understand, along with ATI, the college also has given students access to an app called right. Lippincott Procedures which is a super useful tool to students before they go into clinicals. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. This is a new program that we've recently purchased in conjunction with uh, BYU Library. And the students have access to this app that's applicable for both undergraduate and graduate students. The 
Lippincott Procedures provides an online resource of over 1,800 different skills and procedures that healthcare providers use. All of these procedures and skills um, are evidence-based, so it's outlined within the app. It's used by clinical staff and students alike, and it has been shown through research to decrease errors, reduce the variability of care, increase the amount of time that a healthcare provider can spend delivering the care, and empower nurses and allied healthcare staff with knowledge and confidence to make informed clinical decisions. So very, very powerful tool, tool for our students and healthcare providers. It also maintains, helps us maintain compliance with the current national guidelines. And so as a result, we have improved patient outcomes and um, it promotes effective intercollaborative professional practice. Again, these procedures and skills are outlined in the app. They are evidence-based, and they um, are continually reviewed and updated. Uh, it's, a, it's a program that the students will become familiar with as a student, and they will use in the clinical setting as a student and as a healthcare provider. So I'm excited that we're using the program because the students will already be familiar with it. Um, as they move out and, and work in the healthcare setting. It's just, uh, it's a wonderful way for students to review and healthcare providers to review. And then we have the same level of, of skill, same level of technique um, as we complete our procedures, apply our procedures. Um, we're not exactly sure how each course will use this within the, the, um, College of Nursing, but I anticipate that students will use the app as a resource in their didactic courses, their clinical courses, and their lab courses. So very, very helpful. It, um, it is designed to be point of care, a point of care resource. So the students, as they go in to perhaps complete a, a, a skill with a patient, they can review that before they even go in, just as you mentioned. Which is, which is awesome, so that they know that they are following the directions on exactly how to complete that skill. Yeah. There's a lot of other um, benefits for this. Um, they have a lot of full-color color visuals, art, and video clips, so that students and healthcare providers can see the technique being demonstrated firsthand. Um, equipment lists are included, so as you go into perform a skill, um, or a, a technique in the healthcare setting, or even in the lab here, you can see exactly what equipment you need that, so that you have that with you, saving yourself steps and having everything available as you um, work with patients. It also has integrated access to 33 nursing and medical textbooks for references. So pretty powerful tool. Yeah, and thank you so much, Dr. Anderson, for coming and talking to us on the podcast. And thank you for inviting me. It's just been a pleasure. I'm excited for the students to use these resources and for the opportunities that they have, and hopefully they will take advantage of the resources that we're providing. Thank you for the opportunity to explain them. You know, Adia, all this talk about clinicals and books, Lippincott, and all this stuff makes me wonder a little bit. 
What is the craziest thing you've ever seen or experienced at clinicals? Okay, are you ready for this, Corbin? I don't know. Am I? Okay, <laughs> so one day I got to follow my patient down to interventional radiology. Okay. And he was getting a liver biopsy. What so is that? Basically what they did was put a catheter into one of his jugular veins, take it down through his heart, <laughs> what? down around up into his hepatic vein, and then it shoots right through the vein, takes out a little chunk of liver, oh, and then they pull it out, and then they can biopsy that little piece of liver. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he was also awake. He was awake? <laughs> he was under mild sedation, but he was he was awake. And then the nurse actually had to monitor the heart very closely when they threaded the catheter through to make sure it didn't freak out. What? It was pretty cool. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a nurse. And that's why I am <laughs> a student nurse. <laughs> that's why also you probably should get the lipping cot. So in case you ever got to watch that or deal with that, you know what to do, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. But make sure to use it. There are a bunch of different ways that you can use the lip and cotton, your ATI tools. You can make note cards. You mm -hmm. can do a special reading even before your clinical. So you're prepared for whatever the heck will liver biopsy, biopsy <laughs> that may happen while you're at clinicals. Anything. If you're more prepared, you'll perform better and you'll be much less stressed. So make sure to get these things. It will help you so much this semester. Totally. And everyone listening next week, we're going to have a great episode all about fertility. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.